Welcome to another episode of Living Room Therapy. As usual, I'm your doorman, Dave. Today it's just the gang. Should be a pretty low-key time. Lots of deep thoughts and helpful insights. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. All right, welcome back, everybody. It is, uh, it's 38 minutes, 39 minutes since uh, we were wanting to start, but I, I had to eat, so I apologize. Well, we had more than just eating problems. Something's eating Gilbert Grape and you and me. Okay, so you were telling us earlier, before we went on, that you're going through a transitionary period, and it and it's you're right. It's it's a a huge intersection with. I mean, let's not pretend that you've you're done transitioning into motherhood, right? That that just keeps on transitioning with every change. There's the trauma of the uh, the nursing uh, strike. Uh, nine and a half months, she just refused to breastfeed one day. I looked it up, and it's supposed to last two to four days, and we're on day four. And what I was telling you guys is this is a, a tough transition because it's bringing up, for me, feelings of, I've I've done something wrong. I'm incompetent. All my old kind of crap. You feeling rejected? I'm yeah, definitely feeling rejected. And and way to be perceptive. Um, she like even puts her elbow and like pushes into me. So like I will try to grab her and make her put her arms around me, but she continues to like put her elbow up. She does it to Dave too, but it is um, it's really tough. This is new as of. Three days ago. Did you have a target date for weaning her? I did not. I was going to go as long as I could, um, and that worked for us. When she starts kindergarten. Well. If you want to see weird shit on the internet, right? Right. It's out there. What is? Kids that are walking and talking and four and five years old. Oh, and going and sucking on mama. Yeah. There are kids who are even older than that, Reed, because it burns a few thousand calories. So actually, a lot of moms like to breastfeed because it burns a lot of calories. Well, now you're you're talking about porn sites. But let's try to <laughs> stay on topic. So, yeah. Um, so we've got that. Go on, Reed. You were you were talking. Uh, yeah, and you're moving mm-hmm. into a grown-up house. Mm-hmm. You told us. It's a five bedroom. It's on acreage on the water. You're going to be able to have parties and after COVID, obviously. How about that for a transition, huh? Uh, we're still not transitioned into COVID. We're still all in denial that it's going to last to the end of 21 or the middle of 22 or mm. God knows when. I don't admit that to myself. Do you? I don't either. Yeah. I'm curious about, because I've read a lot about transitions. I think they're pretty awesome from a psychological perspective of what is happening and the the upheaval of um, kind of the, the old with the new. And uh, there's a book called Transitions. Have you, it's, the, it's like the Bible. Uh, you haven't read this book? Oh, okay. Don't know it. It's called Transitions. And this psychologist was having these... Um, support groups for people. I don't know if it was like anxiety disorders or what have you, but he, he realized as 
these different people were showing up, the what the common thread was was transitions and these and that 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 in itself and not being able to have a framework or some sort of a definition of that, it just becomes this amorphous what's going on, you know, like COVID. What what are we, what's going on here versus hey, we're in a transition and yeah, it's stressful, it's uncomfortable, it's it's kind of blowing all the old out of the water and in coming in with the new. But I found that a book really helpful, especially when I was, I, I talked to Paul about the, um, when I left brain health, I don't know, that was a really tough transition for me, but reading that book and understanding kind of what was going on with me and why I was feeling so disoriented and why I was feeling so just kind of scared and lost, um, helps. Does it offer uh, interventions? Uh, yes, it does. Well, then do that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you guys. <laughs> That's Thank handled. You. Let me share with you the most helpful transitions information that I've ever read. And it does not, I'll, I'll, I will give you a spoiler. It does not offer uh, an intervention at the end. So, um, it's, it's a one-page essay called Fear of Transformation. Mm. And I don't know who it's by, but it, it, if someone goes to my website, readstellcounseling.com, goes to the resources page, searches for Fear of Transformation, you'll find it and the author credited. And it compares and tr transition, transformation, it's the same thing, right? We don't transition from ourselves into the same person we're always being transformed changed hopefully for the better not always though sometimes we'll get a, a terminal disease and that'll transform us uh, and in terms of life expectancy it's for the worse but maybe there are benefits so it compares transitions to tra trapeze work life is about swinging on a trapeze and here we are, safe in the castle, to mix the metaphor, and we're called or we're forced out, and now we have to swing to the next trapeze. Mm. And that's going to be motherhood without nursing or uh, a, a kid going off to uh, military school because she's incorrigible, whatever it is. And we think of life as if I could just get over to that trapeze and settle down then I could then I could handle this but we spend according to this essay most of our lives between trapezes uh. and you gotta get good at it now how do you get good at it there's no intervention uh you know go to therapy work do yoga meditate run uh find meaning in your life go love somebody you know pick something but but the the first thing you do is accept that life is never static. The Buddhist way of impermanence, right? Nothing lasts. Change is constant. Yeah. Yeah. So are you supposed to let go during this trapeze example? Do you have to let go of one in order to catch the... Oh, great question. One? Great question. Yeah, this is the kind where you do a flip and, and catch the, the next one. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And sometimes you miss and you land on the net... And then you climb up the ladder and you, uh, 
you, you take another shot at it. I'm glad there's a net. Me too. I think there's going to be a lot of transitions as she, as Evelyn grows up. Well, I'm, I'm sure you two are the older, wiser fathers uh, with older children. I'm sure you have a lot of experiences with letting go and letting go and letting go. Yeah. That's true. Letting go of so much. What's been the hardest part of your experience as a father and letting go? Is there anything specifically that has been particularly challenging? Paul, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I would just say letting go of the expectations. Your child may not like the same things that you like, and they may be very different than you, and you have to let those expectations go. And, you, it, you know, childhood also may bring up things from your own past. Uh, the biggest example that I have is neither one of my kids wanted to do Boy Scouts with me, something my father did with me. So neither one of my kids are into camping or fishing. And so that was really difficult for me, you know, to have my kids that are not interested in doing the same things I grew up doing with my father. So that was a transition. I had to find other things to do with them that they liked. Yeah. It's almost, it makes me think of like letting go of, I don't know how to say this, because I had a similar experience, Paul. I mean, my dad and I fished and camped, and if Evelyn didn't like doing those things, it would be tough and like a, a loss in a way, a loss of something. You find other things to bond with them over, but it's the initial loss of how you thought it was going to be like and you how you imagined you were going to recreate a similar experience with your kids and that they were going to have similar experiences to you and they're entitled to their own experiences. And yeah, um, computers weren't really around when I was a kid. So it's amazing how much both my kids, uh, you know, do things on their computers. One's more a gamer and the other one's more a mixing music, but they both uh, spend much more time versus, you know, when I was their age, in some ways I was in the woods playing with other kids or playing kickball or just doing a lot of things that didn't involve a computer because they didn't exist. Right. Reed? Yeah. I'm I'm with you all the way, Paul. I had to let go of a lot of expectations about my kids liking to do all of the things I wanted them to like, which were all the things that I liked. And um, furthermore, I had to let go of having my way, uh, being obeyed. As, as I've talked about before, uh, you know, my, my household was fairly militaristic so that uh, you didn't disobey a command. And I didn't want to have that kind of relationship with my kids, so I did not uh, demand uh, obedience. Um, and guess what? I didn't get it. So uh, I had the worst of both worlds. I had to be obedient, yet I couldn't be obeyed. And of course, all of my commands were to help them and only for uh, benevolent motivations, in my subjective opinion, right? Yeah. So it, it, was, it was very frustrating. And uh, of all the things that have made me angry over the years, um, I, think, I think it's that that not getting what I thought I was entitled to. Interesting. Do you think that would have made you happy to have what your dad had? Of course not. 
uh, we were alienated from each other because of it. He was a commanding officer and I was a grunt. Um, and once I accepted that, uh, we couldn't be close. Um, la later, years later, after he died, you know, I was able to forgive him and, and respect uh, all the great things about him. Uh, and mourn the things I lost for maintaining that distance because of my pride. Um, and so one thing that I cherish when I get it is that closeness that I feel with my kids because there was no coercion. Mm. Yeah, free will. Yeah. So therefore, I didn't get to have long bike rides with my kids. You know, did I want to force them to? Of course. But I knew that that would be the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And I wish I had more bike rides. That brings up things. I did have a, a good bike rides with each one of my kids. My kids aren't into bikes that much. I used to be into biking, but I gave it up for many years and uh, wish I could have more time with my kids to bike again. That, that would have been great. I had limited bike rides with them, mainly short ones, but there's more time than I got with my dad what was your relationship like with your dad paul my relationship with my dad was uh my dad was a workaholic uh so he was busy commuting in new york city uh he did spend a fair amount of time taking me to hockey and he did spend time with me at boy scouts my grandfather on my mother's side spent a lot of time with me uh taking me fishing and doing other things too so he was somewhat a surrogate dad as well so in some ways, I got a little bit of time with my dad and a little bit more time with my grandfather at times. And uh, I felt blessed by that. But again, back in the day, my dad was busy. He'd leave seven in the morning and come home seven at night. And very often he worked, you know, during the weekends too. So it was uh, that culture of, you know, being a commuter dad. It was almost like you would see in... Not quite Mad Men because it wasn't quite that era, but my dad wore a suit every day and worked five days a week and probably went in the office to clean up some Saturdays as well. So I didn't see much of him for a lot of my childhood. And I repeated that trend a little bit with my first son when I was working at Microsoft, just working a lot of hours uh, because that's what I saw and thought was what was important. Um, and then I slowly scaled back by the time I had Joe. So I, I got better at that. What was it that caused you to scale back, do you think? Oh, you miss out on so many things. And that's also part of the reason why I mentioned earlier that when I was doing the City U program, I actually extended it another year and couldn't do it in the normal time frame because I was going to miss too many of my kids' Little League games or soccer games. And so you had to make those trade-offs between career and, and kids. And there was a certain penalty, uh, certainly that mothers feel for uh, leaving their career for a while to raise kids. And uh, fathers pay that penalty, too, sometimes because they have to choose between working or, or being at Little League games. And even sometimes when you're there, you could see fathers looking at their phones or doing work or in the stands with laptops. And, and so it's something that I had to consciously make that decision about was about, like, what's more important, you know, work or uh, spending time with my kids. And, you know, um, something that happened, I won't mention the person's name, but um, one woman that I was my peer... Um, for a long time, she, she told me a story after she left Microsoft that her teenage kids would drive by Microsoft and, you know, essentially give Microsoft the finger because they basically said they never saw their mother. And she ended up, you know, passing away due to uh, some health issues. And it was so sad. She told me that just about six months before she died and how much she regretted working so much. 
And that was one of the things that I took away because uh, she was, you know, equally successful to me uh, in a lot of ways. But, you know, she had that regret and, uh, you know, she was able to leave that to me as a gift. And we weren't particularly super close, but it was something that we got together maybe once a year to just chat. And uh, that was one of the things she left me with that I feel, you know, like woke me up before it was too late in some ways. Dave just got a, um, how he described it, it was like a, a memo that you would see in the coffee room or on a bulletin board at work, but it was, you know, it's all virtual. So, but it was put out by Amazon and basically just said that your family is top priority. And if you need to take breaks or, or whatever you need to do, she goes to meetings with him and I get to have a break and it's, I, I feel really grateful. I think that's a silver lining to some of, you know, COVID is that, I, you know, I probably had more family time in the last few months as far as dinners together with my kids and my wife than I've had in the prior year. So that was one of the good sides of, of it. But, uh, you know, I wish it didn't take a, a pandemic to, 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 to get that silver lining. Well, shout out to all the families out there and two of our favorite sponsors, Microsoft and Amazon. That's right. That's right. Like you said, Paul, you don't want it to be the pandemic that creates this. And I don't think it's like we don't want it to be the cancer that we get that then makes us be more mindful. Whatever the thing is that uh, is that is creating that, um, I don't know, that change, whether it's the friend dying or whether it's. I don't think we can always like what it is that, you know, tips the, what's the saying with the camel's back? The straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm so bad with metaphors. I, I screw them up. You know, uh, you guys both met Ben. Yes, I liked him a lot. He would make fun of me so much. Oh, you know, it's old hat, meaning it's just something that I know very well, right? You guys both know that Common. Saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said, "Oh, it's old hat and bag," and he goes, "What? What did you say?" I said, "It's old hat and bag." Oh my God, he would not let me live that one down. Well, I've never know of, of all the hours and hours and hours and days I've spent with you, I have never noticed you not being good with metaphors. Maybe you oh. just avoid them. But if you did uh, say "old hat and bag," I would think that that is really charming and creative. <laughs> Why, thank you. you thank bet. you. Yeah, I know. I should. I could make a little Jacqueline-isms of them, but I don't know what they are, so I have to have um, external feedback. We can have Paulisms, too. You got some? What are your uh, sayings? Well, one Paulism that I like to say are the only people who are normal are the people you don't know very well. So that's one of my favorite sayings. Mm-hmm. You do do a lot of, like, the early bird gets the worm. Not that. Uh, what are they called? Truisms? Yeah, if someone else said them. Otherwise, I, I coin them Paulisms when I make them slightly different from mine. Okay. And not everyone appreciates the Paulisms that come out with. Well, we appreciate your Paulisms, Paul. Because For the main reason is we, we get to talk about you behind your back. <laughs> the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Oscar Wilde. So how was your walk the other day? I didn't get to hear much about um, what you guys talk about. What did you do? What did we talk about, Paul? We talked about uh, people that you went to college with. We talked about your wanting to live on a lake. 
Ooh. Oh, yeah. I was talking about the fact that uh, I have a, a Redfin feed and, uh, you know, that you seem to have found, a, you know, a, a nice little house that uh, I'm looking. I was telling you, I was looking for something similar and I was telling him how many Redfin feeds I have going uh, in terms of just looking at houses and whether I want it on, you know, Woodby Island or uh, Camino Island. Ooh. Yes. And Reed was correcting me how I said that. So what what, what were you saying? Kimono. Oh, Kimono. <laughs> yeah. So I think I like said Like a that, Kimono uh, or kimon, Kimono. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, that's a Kimono. Oh, Kimono. Shoot. <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> so, so that's funny. Um, and, uh, you know, just I, how happy I was for you to, that you found that and that. Um, Thank you. You know, that I'm so excited uh, for you because, and I, I didn't say this to you, but when you were talking about putting the addition on, I thought it was, you know, so much better to just buy another house in my mind, but I didn't want to like poo-poo your idea of expanding it. Cause I thought if you did that, you'd be the nicest house on your block, which it's not a good thing, huh? Well, you don't get always get the financial return from that. And then I also thought, you know, from a school district standpoint too, making the move would be better to switch school districts. I mean, I love the one that I'm in and to have that and same where I grew up as a little kid, I think the school district you're in plays a role uh, in so many ways, combination of the teachers, the kids, and uh, right. And then having that sense of community. Um, I look very much forward to um, where we're heading. I look forward to showing Dave because Dave has lived in Fremont and in, in North Seattle, and then he's also lived here in Tequila. And there's a lot of crime in Tequila, and it's you know it's served us well. We've lived well below our means, uh, but it's run its course. We needed more space, but also. Once I got out that door, at, when we pulled into the driveway of this house, and I, I opened the door, and we were, we, I think I told you guys, we uh, got in from Florida around seven or 6.30 or something, and my, my friend, who's the real estate agent, picked us up and drove us right to the house, and so it was pretty dark, but there were some lights, just the porch lights on, and I just felt this sense of relief when I opened up the door, and I could imagine... Evelyn, you know, I, I, she has become such a priority more than it's interesting that transition, right? Like, okay, I, we could make it work here in this house and we could do the addition. And, you know, even though she can't go to these schools because it, they just, she just, we, I would homeschool. Um, this is what I want for my child. This, I want this, I want to feel this feeling of like, I feel safe. I feel secure here. I feel like I can see her growing up here. It was just, and, and and I couldn't know that until I knew it. So even though I had the similar reservations as you, Paul, around doing this edition and, and where we were doing it, but it was like, well, you know, I, I could justify it. I could, but there must've been enough of a squeak in the back of there to, you know, push me to, to look and to show Dave and for us to show up and for us to buy it. <laughs> All with a matter of three days. Yes, so. yes. And I think, you know, just reflecting on my choice, I wanted to give my kids the same thing that I had, which was, you know, you know, I have friends from when I was in grade school. And so if I look at, uh, you know, my 30 closest friends, and, and you two are definitely uh, at the top of the list, but you were one of my newer friends. Most of my other guy friends, uh, the average length of my guy friends is, you know, closer to closer to 30 years and then for my for my female friends it's 20 20 years as well 
So I've managed to keep a lot of my grade school and high school friends, which I treasure. You know, I have a few from college and, and obviously from grad school as well. But uh, those are the people that I, I treasure. So I want to give my kids the same thing that I have, which was imagine having people that's known you since, you know, kindergarten, the first grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. Right. Um, you know, and so, you know, I have a bunch of guy friends that I've had literally since the time I was uh, kindergarten to sixth grade. And they've been with me for my entire you know, uh, life from childhood to adulthood. And, uh, you know, it's been a treasure. It's been a treasure for me. I talked to one of them today that I've known since I was only a few years old and, you know, just can't replace that. No, you can't. And it's, I mean, it's like a, I, I had a therapist, uh, who I was, uh, she gave me this image of a tree and a, a tree that had strong roots and the stability and the foundation that that provides. And it's just stuck with me as far as kind of what you have, Paul, and those friends and nothing can ground you like that, right? Someone from who's known you that long. I also think given what you said in one of your earlier ones about your, you know, your roots and where you grew up in Enumclaw and your close friendships and, and Travis and other people that, it's been important as part of your journey as well. So getting that place called home and that a place maybe that was similar to, uh, you know, Enumclaw in terms of rural and uh, close knit community. And, right. you know, I can, I can, I can see the value in that. Uh, yeah. Uh, incredibly. So I, I can only imagine, and I can uh, at this point, but I know it checks all the, the boxes of, um, you know, it, I, I look, I just look forward to, you know, my, all that's going to come from that. So another transition that you talked about recently with us, Jacqueline, I don't know if it's related to the other ones. I guess everything is related, uh, is, um, discontinuing your counseling practice. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say about that because it's, I've taken on so few clients because, uh, well, towards the end of pregnancy. And then once I had Evelyn, it's sort of morphed into something that is more and more and more on the back burner. So this quitting is a little bit different in the sense of a real finality and, and feeling a little bit scared to do so because I would lose my license. And then to commit to that means, you know, let's say something changes in a year, the, I can't do that. So there's, I feel a little bit of pressure currently with this decision because it's, it's a nice, uh, thing to have in my back pocket, but I also don't know if I want to have it in my back pocket and if I want it weighing me down anymore. You'd have to choose to lose your license, wouldn't you? Uh, well, I wouldn't renew it. Right. So is that license weighing you down without seeing clients? Um, it feels like it. I know it seems it's kind of strange, but it, it does. Like I would want to be completely free of it. Well, let's explore that some more. Yeah, I don't really know where to go with it other than it's, you know, Kristen 
um, my go-to best friend all the time. Uh, she's supportive and says, quit. Totally let it go. And I say, okay. This is going to sound really weird. I just don't think I'm that good at it anymore. I've just, and I've had some not fun experiences, um, recently too. Not that everything has to be fun, but enough where it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I would just, from my standpoint, explore a couple different things. There's one, you could still just take training and keep your license and not see clients. I think that's, that's an option. Um, I know how I felt, uh, you know, I just felt like I had other priorities and I can clearly see how you would feel like you have other priorities between moving and Evelyn. And I just felt like it's a lot of responsibility uh, helping other people. And if you think about the people you're seeing when you talk about not fun experiences, it's not fun to, you know, be a parent and also uh, be responsible as far as being a therapist to somebody who's threatening to hurt themselves or have serious addiction problems you know, it takes a lot of effort and then you have other things going on in your life and it, you know, very often uh, clients, you know, influence your schedule. And when you think you about, you know, who's more important, your kids or, or, or the clients you're helping? Well, they're both important, but at the end of the day, your kids are going to grow up. And so where I knitted out on it a little bit is I just felt like for me, unless you're super passionate about it and you really uh, are going to focus on it, it's tough to be split in so many different ways. And you only have so many things and where it falls on the priority list. If it isn't at the, you know, the top of the priority list, uh, you probably should focus on something else. And for me, that my, my psyche, um, you know, made me interested in psychology, made me interested for a while of doing it. And my psyche then said, uh, you know, my kids are more important and then helping some of my friends and some other people. So I feel like the skills, much like Stacy said too, the skills serve you well in everyday life, even if you aren't getting paid for it. Uh, there's certainly uh, enough people in corporate America and other places who could use some help as far as having issues. So I think it will serve you well in life, whether you use it for, uh, you know, being a licensed therapist or use it for, you know, coaching others or, or working in some other capacity. Well, let's leave the not feeling like you're good at it anymore aside for a second. Sure. What, what was uh, unfun recently? I had a new client. Uh, she was estranged from her daughter. Her daughter and her had a pretty close relationship. So the daughter's mid-20s and going to grad school and then COVID hits. So her daughter moves back here. Uh, the, the mom is divorced from the husband, who's the dad, and the daughter goes and lives with the husband or the ex-husband and the father. And so I'm seeing her because the daughter has basically cut off communication for the time being, has said, I don't want to talk to you. Um, please respect this. And I guess the daughter sees a therapist. And so who knows um, exactly what tipped that. But um, my client was in a lot of pain and um, very upset and is, you know, contemplating how she can continually to reach out to her daughter, even though her daughter set this really strong boundary. And I felt like she wanted me to like fix it for her, right? Like we'll figure out how I can get my daughter and I to 
um, our, our relationship back together. And, and I want it right now. And it was, um, hard even just like being in the same space with her because she didn't want to hear what I had to say. I mean, the, the, the last session that we had, I said, well, you, you're saying all these great things about your daughter that you raised her this way and that there's not anything, I don't know. I, I, cause I was trying to understand like, why, why would her daughter do this? Why would she, why? Because you know her so well, the mom, I, I left the session basically what if you were to trust her what if you were to trust your daughter for the time being and um i got an email a day later that says you know i'm not a good fit for her and she's gonna get another therapist okay now we're getting somewhere (laughs) well i i i do want to ask what Kristen said but what i'm gonna say is you sound like a great therapist And that she is not ready to be therapized, and that is no fun. That is that is the worst. But I mean, I, but I've been thinking about it's not just this one situation. Like I don't want to minimize my my feeling about this as if it's just this one straw, because it's not. I don't want to minimize it either. But if you're you said that you're seeing a minimum. Yeah, I know. So it probably so, is a bigger right. deal. So you can have bad luck and have all of your clients in the week uh, uncooperative, unwilling to let you help, resistant, as we used to say in the olden times. Yep. Uh, and that would be the opposite of fun, for sure. So I feel for you. Um but that question that you asked is so you. What would happen if you decided to trust your daughter? Boom. That's that's wonderful. So I thought so too. Please don't say I'm not good at this anymore because you are great at it. I know. But <laughs> okay. you're 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 right though. I mean my my pie chart and the amount of clients I have, it's like it's four pieces or whatever and then i've got that one she doesn't want to see me which i didn't really you know thankfully and then uh the other one i've been seeing for a while he wants to end therapy we've been seeing each other for a couple years now and i he, he hasn't had a lot of close um relationships and so i and am the really only healthy attachment he's had um and so to get that feedback and to say, I want to end therapy, uh, it, I think it came too close to the other one. And so there was a little yeah. bit. I I hear you. I've been there. Fine, I, fine, fine. You guys, I won't quit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the world thanks you. I'm wondering if Kristen was pulling a uh, a paradoxical intervention on you. She just loves me so much. And so wherever I'm at any day, she just Mm -hmm. loves wherever I'm at. Oh, I love the world too much to let you stop being a therapist. I mean, obviously your new role, fairly new role of wife, brand new role of mother. uh, You're going to be the queen of a new castle. Um, It's a lot. It's a lot to do, but you don't have to, you can, you can put, you can pause. I'm going to pause. Yeah, and then then you've got the option. Then I've got the option. Yeah. 
Lots of value and options. This is why we consult, you know? Right. You you consulted with Kristen. You consulted with us. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's a, that's why it's a thing, because we have trouble. Well, well, sure. And interpersonal relationships are complicated. And I, actually, what I did talk to Kristen about was super helpful. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going to support you and I love you and you can, you know. But when I consulted with her about this woman, I was more focused on why I was walking on eggshells. Why did I feel like I was walking on eggshells around this woman? And I realized it had something to do with my dynamic with my mom. And it was very helpful for me to see how that feeling uh, triggered me as this little girl who um, I'm no longer the therapist. I'm the little, little girl. And now there's, although this woman's older than me, she's not my mom. I'm her therapist. Right. But I, I kind of got, um, a little triggered and was really grateful to kind of be able to work through that with Kristen. So, um, so when I do feel that uncomfortable feeling, oh, it's just that uncomfortable feeling. Right. It's not this uncomfortable feeling. Now I'm this little girl and now I got to walk on eggshells. Oh, it's just this uncomfortable feeling. I'm still the therapist and let's go. Yes. Transference, counter transference, and then also client resistance, right? Clients often resist change. They often quit therapy. They also uh, don't bond with a therapist and don't gel. So they quit. And a lot of uh, people go out and seek therapist after therapist after therapist. And if if there wasn't going to be a therapeutic alliance built between uh, you and her, and it could be just because you remind her of some girl at, in high school that bullied her for all you for all you know. Sure. So if it just wasn't going to work, it wasn't going to work. And I think allowing the client to just opt out. Uh, I am going to say there's a book called uh, Walking on Eggshells, but it's about borderline personality disorder. So just uh, know that that's a very famous book in that arena as well. You know, when we were throwing around ideas on what, what topics to uh, to throw out today, I mentioned uh, Eric Burns' uh, Games People Play book. And uh, he separates uh, people into three ego states, parent, adult, and child. And we're always interacting, according to his theory, with each other uh, using these dynamics. The social uh, arrows that he draws are conscious and the psychological are unconscious. So when you were feeling that way, you were in child mode because of um, transference, counter-transference. And she was in parent mode because of, because of her stuff. And when you realize it, then you go, oh, I got to shift into adult mode. Adult okay. mode, right. Right. And I need to shift her into adult mode. Right. Which uh, you do by, uh, you know, j by, by using extreme measures sometimes. And in essence, you asked her to be an adult with her daughter, which, which was unbearable to her. And why is that? Because for the same reason that I wanted to be obeyed by my children. I didn't want to give them the dignity of being adults uh, 
and 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 these three words don't mean the same thing as they do in in our normal language so adult means self-contained autonomous being not subservient and not uh, oppressive and so uh we resist shifting that's why the book is called games people play because we're always playing a game we're always trying to get strokes and if i know how to get them by being a uh critical mother i can i can always feel my power when my daughter runs away or sasses me well that's that's the game i play it's called i've got you now you son of a bitch mm. he names all these great games <laughs> and uh uh, then the daughter plays the game uh, Poor Me. And that, that game is not sustainable, you know? Yeah. Then eventually you're going gonna to want to go play with somebody else. And in therapy, sometimes they do decide to go and play with somebody else. Somebody who, who won't push them. In this model, there are two kinds of parents. There's the nurturing parent and there's the controlling parent. And there are two types of children. There is the adaptive child and there's the free child. Now, when you and your mother were interacting as true mother and daughter, uh, were you free or were you adaptive? Hmm. And I haven't defined those terms, right. but but free is um, is healthy and adaptive is either rebellious or withdrawn and meek and uh, subservient. Yeah, I I would, I think more adaptive. I don't see you as rebellious. What, well, am I wrong? currently? Uh, no, back when you were uh, a daughter under, under, under her roof. Well... That's it's tough because I you know I have up until sixteen and and that is the more rebellious age and that's kind of the age that I got stuck in so I think my mind kind of clings on to rebellious as a okay. but I was very free as well right so I don't know if it has to be one or the other but no 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 we shift we shift all the time oh okay yeah and then you meet this kind of uh, overbearing controlling mother like you're describing in your session. And now you have a choice. Uh, first of all, you notice that you're in child mode. Right. But then you got to notice, wow, was I a free child just playing and having fun and goofing around with her, uh, teasing her? Or was I adaptive in a, uh, did I adapt by rebelling? Did I adapt by complying? By saying, okay, okay, I'll fix your problem. Right. Right. Before you realized, oh, crap, I'm not, this isn't the therapist me. Right. I really worked on this stuff um, a lot with my previous therapist, the one right before I got into the relationship with Dave. And it saved my butt because um, I have, I can, you know, like you said, when you're in that child role or for me, like I had gotten to such a critical uh, mode of myself. And I was so, so critical of everything. Uh, yeah. I was just having a really tough time, but she gave me this image of almost like supermaning yourself out of yourself. Like, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but 
here you are in this seat and you're in this, whether it's, you know, I'm feeling criticized by her in this session and I'm just this child who's scared and I don't want to say my, I, I lose my voice. And I think that's why I talked about, you know, walking on eggshells. I just, I didn't know what to say. And what she said is like, you rescue, you know, like the rescuer, um, you just grab that part of yourself and you just, you know, skyrocket out of there and, um, to free yourself, to, to free yourself from that. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. That's beautiful. Time. You're doing a yeah. great job. Yeah. And yeah. your therapist reminds me of John Bradshaw, who, who he was not a psychotherapist, but he was an addiction counselor. And he, if you go to my website, readstellcounseling.com, go to resources, look up John Bradshaw. And he talks about two things that relate to what we're talking about here. One is saying goodbye to your family temporarily because the relationships are toxic for whatever reason. And so many people have trouble with that. They think they should uh, be the cleavers and, and, uh, and, and they're not. Um, and it's just temporary. You, but you say, no, I'm not going to text with you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to visit you for now. And it's, it's my stuff. I'm working on my stuff. If you don't want me to work on my stuff, that's okay. You don't have to want me to. I'm going to anyway. And that takes a lot of courage if we're used to that parent-child dynamic, that adaptive child uh, and the controlling parent. The other thing he talks about is finding your inner champion, supermanning yourself out. He says that champion is in there, but it might be asleep. And so you you call on it and out it comes and then you can turn over the session to to the champion now you now you're you're protected you're right you're, you're championed that's a, a big part of and I, I still want to share about uh EMDR with you Paul um there's a part of resourcing that you work with in the clients um framework so maybe they have had nothing but trauma their whole life but you get to imagine who, who for you, um, was it even a, a movie you watched or a TV show and well, the P power ranger, I really, there was something about that. Well, what, what was it? What about that power ranger for you? How did it make you feel? And so you start to create in them this Superman. So even the feeling of seeing this power ranger and what they did and, and just imagining it is creating those networks in the brain to then, resource them so that they're no longer that weak child traumatized child now they're they're able to access this other um experience it's really cool sounds like it yeah so finding your inner champion huh yeah it sounds very similar to resourcing mm -hmm. right you create your god in the image you choose mm -hmm. that's that's just another metaphor, right? Is a God is a, is a powerful being that is there available to call on. Mm -hmm. I have a client uh, that has made great progress, a tech worker who uh, had a lot of hobbies, very, very busy person and came to me because he stopped being motivated to do his hobbies. 
and felt like a failure. And so he felt depressed and he felt anxious. And he uh, he's into comic books and uh, video games and all of that. And he, I don't know how old he was when, when this started, maybe young 20s, maybe teens, but he created his own superhero with, with, with a name, with a superpower. He, he doesn't have superpowers, but he is powerful. He can get stuff done, like Batman. I thought, wow, what an amazing example of, uh, of doing this inner championing on your own, but not utilizing it. It, it, it was a fiction, you know, uh. it was just something to draw, but it was also something he imagined, right? you know, created part of his house to, to, to work out and get strong and to be a, a, a refuge. Um, but now beyond that, he needs to come out and say, okay, don't do your hobby today. That's okay. We'll do something else together. Unless you're a mother. Unless you're a mother. Well, here I am, and I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> and has Evelyn been asleep all this time, or is Dave just being uh, your champion? Yeah. He's a champion, yeah. yeah. They've got their own relationship, you know, and I think that's been really important uh, for me to be able to step back and for them to do their thing. And even at times where I know that I could calm her or soothe her, I've, it's been really important to both of us that he learns how to do that with her. So, yeah. So I'm down here with you guys. That's great. Excellent. Yeah. So glad you. Oh, I got to tell you, a, a lady from my um, PEPS group, the parent support group, she and I talk frequently and she listened to the episode where we were talking about going to New Jersey and she was so pleased when she heard uh, when you guys said well can you come or do you can you guys of course i can come it was just there was not even a hesitation and so just being able to go you know yeah. and, and knowing that she's going to be okay yeah how great to have a a teammate like um like dave yeah uh you really i mean single parenthood is beyond my comprehension likewise Likewise. And our, if there's a role for government, one of the roles should be to help that generation that is going to uh, make all the difference by helping those single parents and not saying, well, it's their own fault. They, I guess they'll just have to pull themselves up with their yeah. straps. There I'm getting political, you know? Uh, you know... Uh, yeah, when I think of when I think of somebody who's a single parent for whatever reason, I just don't know how they do, the ones that do it badly. I don't know how they do it. I'm there a hundred percent, and I mean I wouldn't do it any other way than how we're doing it. I'm so yeah. grateful for all the ways that we've been able to be conscious parents and make this yeah. choice consciously and together. But if for whatever reason, um, you know, something happened or I wasn't in this position and seeing all the work it takes and not just the work it takes just to keep her fed and clean, but also emotionally healthy and happy and engaged in assisting her in those developmental milestones to do it alone. I don't know how you can keep your sanity intact. Like I'm able to, I just don't know, Reed. I'm, I'm with you. I can't comprehend it. <laughs> it's hard as hell. 
with a loving, giving, generous yes. partner. Two with two of us. I yes. mean, we have a hell of a time. Yes. And we enjoy with one it. child, right? <laughs> and it's difficult as hell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we make mistakes and we say, uh, all I can do is all I can do. And will I take responsibility for how they turn out? Part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think there could be a lot more support for that population, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And not because we're do-gooders, but because we care about the country. We care about the country. We care about our communities. We care about, I mean, uh, you look at the area that I'm currently in and the one I'm moving out of and the crime rate, and, and there's good reason for that. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't take fucking rocket scientist or someone with half a brain to see that it does like start at home yeah. and the quality that of time and and the our ability to be present with them and if we're co- constantly focusing on I, I mean i don't have to think about food or i don't know read it's it's yeah. incomprehensible that yeah. that's not for whatever reason, I don't care. These are the next people who are going to lead our country. They're going to be the people who are preparing. It's all the people. It's all the people. Mm-hmm. And so many of them come from single households. And Virginia Satir, uh, many decades ago, the one of the foremost uh, family therapists, wrote a book called People Making, which is all about what we can do to screw up our kids the least. Hmm. <laughs> How'd you do? <laughs> well, it's not over yet. Okay. You know? Yeah. And and this brings us full circle back to expectations. You know, we expect certain things out of our children. They expect certain things out of, out of us. And sometimes our expectations are met and sometimes they're not. And uh, we'd be better off. Getting back to impermanence, Paul, and attachment to outcome, we'd be better off having no expectations at all. Then we wouldn't be disappointed. I would like to back up a second and just put another plug in for PEPs, because that's a group that uh, my wife and I have supported. Uh, Both of our kids were in PEPs, and my wife led a PEPs group. So the friends that she made, and even one of my closest friends uh, that I was golfing with on a Friday came out of that peps group, the initial one. So I've, I I felt like I met another dad that I could, uh, you know, have maintained friendships for, you know, essentially 20 years. And so that support from, uh, you know, other parents and being willing to share, you know, how you're doing and whether or not you're making mistakes and getting other people's input and having people going through the same process that you're going through. You know, oftentimes, uh, maybe you don't remember what our parents did, or maybe our parents didn't set the example that we wanted to uh, set for ourselves. And, you know, I know some of us might have been raised by the wooden spoon and, and uh, you know, other corporal punishments and stuff as well. So, you know, if you wanted to do things differently, having a good peer group to bounce ideas off of. Of course. And make different choices were so important. So a little plug for Peps. and Yes. Shout out to one of our favorite sponsors. Well, right. And I think what's great about Peps, too, is you don't have to, if you don't have the money to join, you don't, people who have money, you can pay more or if you don't you don't and so it's for me I saw a lot of people in my office in the counseling office who didn't have or or mothers or who did not have that support and so I knew that I needed that 
and I, Dave and I joined, you know, I had a, an idea of what that would look like to have a support group like that. I had no idea what, I mean, I just told the other, I, I just messaged the girls the other day and told them how grateful I am for them. I mean, they, it, it, it's like, it's my North a lot of times. And there were times where it was just spinning and I, we were still sleep co-sleeping and we needed to transition her into her own crib. And it was just uh, heartbreaking while necessary while, and I just vomited out to this group and to just get that warm hug. It was just, it's been so great. And that's just been consistent the whole time. Cause we're all right there together. Yeah. I got chills talking about it. So I'm with you, Paul. Um, peps, peps, peps. Peps. Beautiful. All right. I asked, speaking of, um, Dave is going to be taking over um, this room in a second. So, oh, he still wants to come on uh, and come into the living room. He's mm, been, I don't think that would be a good idea. You don't? He's no. He's been outside this whole time. <laughs> Just... I don't know. Part of me, part of me thinks it could work. Part of me just doesn't like him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try not to tell him these things, but then he listens because yeah. he, he, he listens the whole time to see like, is today, yeah. is, do I get okay. to come in next time? Yeah. Well, he knows his place. <laughs> he does. And that's, now that's one of the things I like about it. He does. Yeah. Yeah. I like no, him. What can I say? I'm biased. I yeah. wouldn't be. I wouldn't be opposed. If there was a vote, I would vote with the majority. Okay. All right. I'm so a, it's I'm two no's. It's two no's. Oh my goodness! My goodness! My goodness! He's so okay. Well, um, but I do need a skedaddle. And okay. I'm so thankful for this conversation. It's well, listen. Just... Uh, oh, we're thankful for you. We're thankful we're, as well. Yeah, I love my you. two best therapists. Thank you for caring uh, what we say. Yeah, of course. Even when it isn't what you want to hear. Um, but listen, we don't have to think of a topic next time. We'll just have a, a special guest, the doorman. Yeah, okay. Yeah, All okay. Right. Beautiful. Okay. Okay, friends. Good night right. from the living room. Good night from the living yeah, room. Yeah, it's been fun. Hey again, I'll see you out. Did you enjoy yourself? I sure do hope so. On behalf of Reed, Jacqueline, and Paul, I want to thank you for your time. I've heard there's going to be some pretty awesome folks stopping by. For more information, check out Living Room Therapy on Facebook or Instagram. And we hope to see you soon. The world like I should.